Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're delving into the latest UBS Own Your Worth report, released earlier this month by UBS Global Wealth Management. The fifth edition in this series adds two years of research that collects data from women in the US and around the world about how they approach and engage with major financial decisions, with an eye on increasing women's financial participation and making clearer the link between financial and actual well-being. This year's edition certainly has some striking findings. Women are increasingly acting on their convictions to pursue greater purpose in their lives and intentionally using their financial resources, time and purchasing power in a way that aligns with their values. The research shows that women see money as a tool to affect change and recognise the importance of their participation in financial decisions as a path to greater impact. Well, let's dive into the report. We start with Kerry Shuffman, head of the women's segment at UBS. Kerry, great to have you with us here on the show once again. Welcome back. Let's start with some background here. Remind us what the Own Your Worth report is and maybe tell us a bit more, first of all, about how UBS seeks to engage with and communicate with its female client base more generally. The Own Your Worth report is an annual report that UBS and the women's segment team within UBS puts out focused on women and financial well-being. We actually just came out with our fifth report in the series titled Women on Purpose, Women, Money, and the Pursuit of More Intentional Lives, which we're really excited to be able to share. And the goal of this research in the last five years of of the research that we've done, really the goal is to better understand women as investors and to collect real data from women around the U.S. and around the world around how they approach the major financial decisions in their households how engaged or or not engaged they may be in making these types of long-term financial decisions and investing decisions that ultimately have tremendous impact on them and their futures, where there are opportunities to increase women's financial participation and bring more women to the money table, as we like to say, and really to better understand the inextricable link between financial well-being and overall well-being. So that's really how we think about this research in terms of how it enables us and creates a foundation for us to engage with women around the topic of financial well-being, while of course recognizing that women are a population, not a segment. It's a little bit silly to call 51% of the population a segment. And, and we recognize that you know no two investors, no two women are alike, but we do seek to try to understand certain trends, whether demographic trends or trends that we can really pull out from our own research that allow us to better serve and engage with women and really meet them where they are in terms of helping them address their financial needs now and into the future, regardless of their background, financial situation, whether they're married or single, divorced or widowed, millennial, Gen X, baby boomer, entrepreneurs, executives, women who may not be currently working outside the home. Really, our goal is to try to have something to help all women as they think through uh, planning for their financial futures. Yeah, that's really interesting, Kerry. And I wanted to ask you next a bit about another kind of overarching trend we've seen. And across, this is almost all investor groups, I guess, we've seen a rise in the power, the potency of purposeful investing as a motivation for investors. Uh, Much of that, of course, has been accelerated over the last couple of years because of the pandemic and other corollary reasons. But I think for for women as a a group, as that 51% you just mentioned, they seem to be absolutely in the vanguard of this. And I wonder if you can tell us a bit about 
why that trend is happening and what it tells us that women are so active in that. Sure. So, you know, I think why this is happening is is pretty clear. And, and you mentioned it, Tom, I think the pandemic was a, a tremendous factor. And that's really what our, our latest research wanted to build off of. So, you know, with the last five years of looking at how women approach the major financial decisions in their households, how they think about financial well-being, we wanted to sort of pivot and really recognize how have the last few years of, of extreme turbulence, frankly, whether the COVID-19 pandemic, geopolitical and economic uncertainty, social activism and other important events, how have these really been a catalyst for reevaluation for investors, but particularly, Tom, as, as you mentioned, for women, in terms of how these events have caused women to reassess what's most important to them and how it's caused them to really feel even more compelled to live lives of greater purpose and, and with greater intentionality. And so I think, you know, in terms of the why is this happening, I think these last few years of profound change really have impacted all of us in some way, shape, or form. Certainly some people have been more impacted than others, but, you know, the pandemic was a collective experience and, and our research, and, and I think more broadly, industry research, the research that's out there has shown that it really caused people, especially women, to ask some bigger questions of themselves and, and of society, whether, you know, whether it was the disproportionate burden that we know that the pandemic placed on women with household and childcare responsibilities, or women maybe lost jobs or had to step out of the workforce or watch loved ones get sick or pass away, or even women who maybe had more time on their hands or more cash on their hands in the absence of spending on socializing or travel or pursuing leisure activities, vacations, experiences. You know, you think about all these different ways in which people have been impacted over the last few years. And I, and I think that really explains this renewed sense of being very intentional with the choices that we as women make, how we choose to spend our valuable time, how we choose to wield our considerable purchasing power, how we make wealth decisions, whether in donating our money and charitable giving and spending, how we choose to earn our money via the career choices that we make. And, and I think that's really what this latest research that we've done, the Women on Purpose on Your Worth Report, really shows us, you know, that women are at this tremendous inflection point and that women are more committed than ever before to making a difference. You know, in, in fact, the latest research told us that nine in 10 women believe money is a tool that can be used to affect change. And over 70% of women told us through this latest research that they've increased their philanthropic giving over the last few years. Even women in couples who maybe have deferred the investing or long-term financial decisions to a spouse or partner in the past. So I think part of, part of what we're really trying to do is, is help women have greater impact and, and recognizing that they're at this inflection point and have this strong desire to, to do that. And the tidal wave effect of more women seeking to have greater impact really has the power to be tremendous looking ahead, which, which we're really excited about. Yeah, and I guess we must welcome the fact that we're at that inflection point. The progress has been so so rapid. I think even since you and I first spoke on these kind of themes, the, the data suggests that the direction of travel is is very positive. Nevertheless, though, and you've actually touched upon this, Kerry, already a couple of times, there do remain sometimes in some uh, environments, these quite entrenched dynamics. There's a status quo in some areas. You just mentioned it, actually, the, the, the delicate dynamic often of financial decision making in, let's say, traditional married couples. Can you just tell us a bit about how the data shows us very directly the benefits of challenging that status quo in order to unlock more purposeful, more impactful investing across the board? Because the data is compelling, isn't it? 
Yes, I think the data is really compelling, Tom, and, and I, I really appreciate that question because I think it really expands upon the last five years of our research. Because even back in 2018, our research found that about 50% of women in heterosexual couples and 40% of women in same-sex couples said that they deferred the long-term financial decisions and investing decisions to their partner or spouse. And so that's been something that we've really tried to explore further in terms of why and also how to change that dynamic for the last five years. That's been a really critical part of the women's segment work at UBS. And, and also building off of that in this latest research around what are the entry points to greater financial engagement among the 50% of women who still defer those decisions. In fact, you know, unfortunately, we do see that the number, the percentage of women who still defer those long-term financial decisions to a spouse or partner within marriages remains stubbornly high at, at just above 50%. But we also see that the number of women who are leading in making financial decisions in their households is increasing. And we see that women who lead in financial decisions are actually paving the way in feeling that they are having even greater impact in the choices that they make in using money as a tool to affect change and really taking great steps to achieve impact, whether through pursuing venture capital opportunities, venture philanthropy, starting foundations, or being involved in nonprofit organizations, using charitable giving vehicles like donor advised funds. So this latest report, what I really, really love about it is we also looked at women who are actively engaged in their financial lives, who are really engaged in this impact and purpose-driven space. But even, even beyond that, I would say, you know, the tremendous benefits our research has uncovered in this latest report, but even in the last five years, you know, there are true, true benefits to being involved and engaged in your financial life and the long-term financial decisions that help you shape your life and legacy, whether you're part of a couple, whether you're on your own, and not just in case of the unexpected, although we do know that women tend to outlive their male spouses in the context of heterosexual couples. We know that the divorce rate in the U.S. hovers just below 50%, but not just because of you know the unexpected or the curveballs that life may throw us, but also, again, in the ability to really shape our futures in our ability to achieve our goals, to have greater impact. All of this really starts with being engaged in your financial life so that you know how much money you can maybe give to the charities that you care about, so that you know how much time you can spend focused on whether volunteering or doing things that you know give you a greater sense of purpose in life how you choose to maybe pursue things like ESG investing to align your wealth with your values. All of this really starts with financial engagement. And the research really shows that women do seem to recognize the power of financial engagement in terms of allowing them to have greater impact. In fact, over 90% of women said that they saw financial engagement as a critical tool to achieving greater impact. So the question is, how can we actually help and support women to, to do just that? Well, yes. And I wanted to pick up actually on a point that you alluded to earlier, Kerry, which was about the danger of looking at women investors as, you know, a singular homogenous group. Tell us a bit about some of the learnings that you and your colleagues have about about the female millennial demographics. I'm interested in some of the behaviors and attitudes in that younger demographic compared to, say, female Gen Xers or female boomers even. It does seem that there's an amazing rate of change of attitude of intentionality, a word you mentioned, and of a willingness to to do actions in this space. I wondered how much of a challenge that fast rate of change is for you and your colleagues, particularly given if we look at the bigger picture, you know, we're right in the middle of this period of 
of an unprecedented wealth transfer between generations. That must be challenging, but I guess it must also be fascinating. Yeah, and, and I think it's a great question. And, you know, at UBS, in addition to the women's segment, we have our rising gen segment specifically focused on millennials, as well as a tremendous focus on intergenerational wealth transfer considerations. And, you know, I, I would say from this latest research, it, it really makes clear that millennial women seem to have been the most impacted by the events of the last few years insofar as how these events really affect their desire to make a difference. In fact, 83% of millennial women said that due to the events over the last two years, they're more committed to using their financial resources to change the world for the better, compared to about 62% of Gen X women and 38% of baby boomer women. So again, within the context of the events of the last few years, we really see that millennial women are more committed than ever before to changing the world and are really leading the way in using their money to fulfill their purpose and create positive change. And it's not just intent, right, Tom, and you alluded to this in your question, it's also action. So more millennial women than Gen X or baby boomer women have said that they ensured that their investments align with their, their values and what matters to them. A larger percentage of millennial women say they make purchases that align with their values or that they've even found more meaningful work. And I think this is where, you know, I, I wouldn't even say it's a challenge per se, but really a tremendous opportunity for all of us, uh, not just in the financial services industry and not just even from a wealth management perspective and how we serve clients, how we serve and engage with women on their financial journeys, but really for everyone who has a millennial family member, a millennial friend, millennial colleagues or team members or employees, you know, thinking about how millennials and in particular millennial women are leading lives with greater intentionality and purpose, how that affects the career decisions they make, the tremendous financial clout and purchasing power, the influence that millennials wield, you know, asking ourselves, how can we address that is really important. And then how also asking the bigger question of, you know, if we can address this desire among millennials and millennial women, um, how can that actually lead to really positive ripple effects across society with millennials really paving the way toward greater impact and greater purpose? Yeah, absolutely, Kerry. I just wanted to ask you finally about I guess the scale, not just of the challenge, which I think we've outlined some of the more challenging areas that remain, despite being at this inflection point, but the scale of the opportunity. If we can get to a place where more, all women uh, own their worth, act, as you just said, on these convictions, pursue this greater purpose, what are the limits? Is it one of the old cliches? Is, is the only limit our collective ambition? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the opportunity from this report is really is limitless, I think, for each of us as individuals, but then also collectively from a societal perspective. And, you know, in terms of the opportunity, I think each of us has an opportunity to be more impactful in our lives in terms of, you know, every single decision, big and small, whether it's where you choose to buy your household goods or how you choose to invest your money or how you choose to spend your time or, you know, help a neighbor or volunteer, whatever it might be, you know, you don't need to be a famous philanthropist in the news or win a Nobel prize to still make a really positive impact. And I also think, you know, part of being able to actually use your financial clout to make that career change, to make purchases that align with your values or focus on sustainable investing or philanthropy really does involve being actively engaged in your financial life and understanding your financial picture for now and into the future to really have that foundation 
so that you can be best positioned to achieve your goals and achieve your you know greater purpose in your life. And, and that's really what the entire message around own your worth is about. And, and I think the two trends of women's growing financial clout demographically, coupled with this recharged commitment to leading a more meaningful life really can be the twin engines behind women making a greater impact than ever before. But again, and I, I know we've talked about this before, and this is really the entire basis and message of owning your worth is, you know, we need more women to step up to make the long-term financial decisions that ultimately shape their life and legacies. And that is what will give women the, the rocket fuel, if you will, to be even more powerful change makers. So that's really, I think, you know, where, where we can continue to build upon this research and not limit ourselves in terms of how we can use this to, to spark greater conversations and, and, and also turn intent into action as it pertains to making a difference and, and being more engaged in, in the decisions that shape our, our lives, our longevity and our legacy. Carrie Shuffman, head of the women's segment at UBS. Well, next up, let's speak to Jill Faraty-Lloyd, financial advisor with UBS Private Wealth Management. Jill, thanks for joining us on the show. Regarding the women clients that you work with, how have you seen their attitudes and behaviours change or shift since the pandemic? How have these events over the past couple of years changed the conversation? And I wonder, how is this driving a broader desire amongst women to, to be more purposeful? Really what I found during the pandemic was quite busy bringing on new clients and they were mostly couples and they came to me really led by the female spouse. When people were home 24 hours a day with each other, they were nervous, they couldn't get away from each other. <laughs> they were facing their own mortality, the markets were turbulent, you know, and then the social and the political unrest really reared its head and we we're seeing this growing economic divide. And again, because couples were sequestered at home together, they couldn't get away from one another. And you know, the wives who had perhaps previously deferred the financial decision-making to their spouse really began to ask questions. Initially, it was like, are we going to be okay financially? Or, um, you know, what's the plan if one of us or both of us get sick? What happens if we die? Will the kids be okay? So we helped our, our clients build and create resilient cash flow plans, which helped to reduce their immediate anxiety. But then... Then when they had some space to think beyond just their immediate needs, and as the social and political unrest started to unfold, it was really the women, more often than not, in the family who felt compelled to think beyond their own selves and their families to make a difference on some of these issues. So we found once that they had a financial plan in place, they gained a much better understanding of their philanthropic firepower and were empowered to take action. Let's talk a little bit, uh, Jill, about some of the different methods to make the sort of positive difference that you've already been talking about, you know, whether that is VENCAP or donor advised funds, there are a few different methods at play. Can you tell us what you're seeing in particular, when you talk to these sorts of women clients who are looking to be more active in the way that they're participating in financial decision making? Sure. I would say that the women who lead in the financial conversation are more apt and more open to investing in private markets. And more and more women I speak with want to be in the private markets. I could tell you that they're becoming angel investors. They're investing in venture funds. And in some cases, they're co-investing as a venture LP 
in direct investments. So interestingly, they're also adding their personal investment experience to their LinkedIn profile outside of their jobs, just their investment experience. And, and they're hoping to amplify their interests, attract deal flow, and create a community. And many times, these clients hold their alternative assets in either their foundations or their donor advice funds because they're both quite tax efficient and have longer term time horizons. But these female investors are really looking for sustainable solutions. They're particularly interested in supporting female entrepreneurs, right? Investing with a gender lens. And female founders receive a meager 2% of venture money. That's not lost on these investors. Yet those entrepreneurs are the ones who are creating the products and the services that really solve for the pain points that women have. So they wanna see more of these entrepreneurs funded so that they can create change in their world. Most women investors are aware of the inequity in the venture world and they're determined to change that equation. Women investing in women, investing in women. So women investors investing in women, venture capitalists who are investing in women entrepreneurs. Yeah, and you've already given us a couple of examples, but could you maybe suggest one or two others of some of the most interesting things that you've seen clients doing to build on this kind of change in terms of purposefulness, intentionality when it comes to the decisions that they're they're making? As I say, you've given one example earlier, but maybe you can tell us some more because I think it's so interesting to look at kind of case studies, if you like. Yes, so... There are a number of organizations that our clients are joining so that they can learn to be angel investors, one of which is called SheEO, and and Vicki Saunders, who runs SheEO, is a global visionary at UBS, and that's been an important element for them to feel like they can make decisions that are wise. They're also trying to encourage UBS to put more venture funds that are focused on women's issues on the platform, which we're working hard to do. But for example, you know, if you've got an interest in child mortality rates, right, or women's, black women's mortality rates, what are the ways in which you can impact that change? So there are not-for-profits that are working in that space, but there are also companies who are working in that space to create change in the world. And so our, my clients are trying to find those opportunities that really matter to them and come in both from a philanthropic standpoint, managing, using their time, also opening their Rolodexes to bring other women into the cause. And then of course, putting their money where their mouth is by investing in these companies. Regular listeners to this program will know about UBS's framework, the the wealth way, this idea of these three kind of key dimensions, the three L's, liquidity, longevity and legacy, which I think is really interesting. And often we talk about different themes and we come back to that as providing this kind of overarching context. This is interesting, though, because we might think of charitable giving and philanthropy as being sort of purely legacy considerations. But actually, all of the things that we've talked about already speak a bit more to this idea of living and buy and aligning wealth and spending also with values from the other L's as well, uh, liquidity and longevity. How do you use that UBS Wealthway framework to help frame this, this other narrative? That's an excellent question. And I would say that women are very different from men from a philanthropic standpoint. 
women are less interested in, say, leaving a giant bequest to their alma mater after they're gone. And they're more interested in what their money can do, not only for themselves and their families, but for their communities and the world while they're alive. And this is where Wealthway is a really helpful framework. Again, there's three buckets, I would say, the liquidity, legacy, and longevity. And each one of them helps to achieve a different goal. The first is the liquidity bucket. And this is the idea that you'll have three to five years or one to three years of expenses available to you that you would need. So if the markets are going up and down, these would be in highly liquid securities and you would not have to make a sale of a security and have a permanent loss of capital. This is where when we talk with women clients, in addition to their living expenses, they want to include their budgets for their annual giving commitments, for their board give gets, for any galas that they plan on going to during the year, or any multi-year pledges that they might have to their organizations that they support. So that liquidity bucket is important to make sure that they can show up and be present today in activities around the organizations that they care about. The second bucket is this legacy bucket. And this is the sort of intermediate term bucket. Decides It's really designed to help clients achieve their goals during their lifetime. These assets are invested more for growth and for cash flow. From a personal perspective, these goals might include like buying a second home or paying for kids or grandkids' educations, for example. But from a philanthropic standpoint, a client might dream of building a school in Africa in 10 or 20 years and wants to be there when the doors open to see the fruits of their labor. So this would be something that we would help them think about that would be assets that could grow over time to help them achieve that longer term goal, medium to longer term goal. And of course, finally, we have the legacy bucket. And the way I like to talk to clients about this is this is the mark that you want to leave on the earth what you want to leave to your heirs and the bequest that you want to leave to charity. These are the assets that are invested with a much longer term horizon. And we have, we have clients donate their homes to land trusts or art to museums. And yes, even a bequest to their alma mater at the end of the day. But women really are more interested in living their values while they're alive rather than leaving a monument at the end. Jill Faraty-Lloyd. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. To learn about this edition of the report, and indeed previous ones in the series, visit ubs.com forward slash women. And you can listen again and find out more about this show at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.